0: Well, good morning, Greenwich, and welcome to the Monday, March 13th edition of the Basement Academy. As we get going on another week together, uh, this will be another week of taking questions from the Academy. Might be the last week, just looking at the number of questions that have been submitted. Um, So maybe today and tomorrow we'll do last call if there's any other questions that folks would like to uh, have me address over the coming days. I'm happy to go and extend another week. Just you know, when we run out of questions, we'll turn to something else. Uh, let's begin with a morning psalm, <clears throat> and the psalm itself, uh, I think, sits as backdrop to the questions that I'll be addressing today. And so this is Psalm 13. It's not a long psalm at all, but it's an important psalm that we would regularly read. And pray. So again, if you're reading five psalms a day, you're going through the whole book of psalms every month. So on the 13th of the month, you would be lifting this up. And so Psalm 13 is for the director of music. It's a Psalm of David. How long, O Lord, will you forget me forever? How long will you hide your face from me? How long must I wrestle with my thoughts and every day have sorrow in my heart? How long will my enemy triumph over me? Look on me and answer, O Lord my God. Give light to my eyes or I will sleep in death. My enemy will say, I have overcome him, and my foes will rejoice when I fall. But I trust in your unfailing love. My heart rejoices in your salvation. I will sing to the Lord, for He has been good to me. Mm. Short and sweet. Starts out with these questions. Ooh, how long must I wrestle with my thoughts and every day have sorrow in my heart? How long? I mean that's that's the question when we're in a when we're in a spot, when we're in a season, when we're in a depression, we're gonna talk about a depression when we're in one of those funks, when we're blue, when we're, when we're going through it, however you want to say it. How long, Lord? And so Psalm 13 is so important, but, but it turns. But I will trust in your unfailing love, okay? And, and so the question, very simply put, um, I'm just going to read it verbatim. Does depression mean your faith isn't true faith and belief? Or that it is not strong enough? Great question. Important question. Heartfelt question, right? Because there's not a one of us, I don't think, that doesn't go through um, a a season of, of sorts. And so obviously Psalm 13 reflects that. You know, something's going on. We don't know the circumstances behind it, but you get a window into the emotional process, the, the, the mental struggle. How long must I wrestle with my thoughts and every day have sorrow in my heart? So it's heart and mind, right, that are, that are beset in a depression. Um, the short answer to the question, does depression mean your faith isn't true, faith is strong enough? No, it does not mean that at all. In fact, uh, I might argue that those who struggle with depression or when we are struggling with depression the fact that we press on, like the psalmist, wrestling, wrestling, but I will, you know, trust in your unfailing love. That those who press on and trudge through and keep believing in God, even when it feels like clouds and rain all day long emotionally, I would argue that that's greater faith. To be able to trust God in the valley uh, seems to be. <laughs> A more earnest expression of the faith than when trusting him on the mountaintop, if if that makes sense. So you know, w- um, we're not fair weather Christians, right? We, we we trust God no matter what. Um, depression is both something we feel, but but there's a there's a there's a deeper reality to it that there's a cl- you know what we call a clinical depression, and so. I offer this just, you know, just printed from the, the internet because I'm not, you know, I'm not a therapist, I'm not a counselor, so please take everything that I'm offering you. I'm a pastor, but I accompany people uh, on these kinds of journeys. And so a clinical depression is diagnosed, um, there are a, a set of descriptors, symptoms, we would say. And when an individual experiences five or more of these for two weeks or more, we, we will say they have a clinical depression and it at times can turn into a major depressive uh, episode. And so let me just read the symptoms so that we would hear. That's almost like reading the stroke symptoms so you'll recognize it You know when it's happening. Sadness or feelings of emptiness, that's one. Loss of enjoyment of hobbies, work, or other activities, so that which typically brings us joy no longer does so. So that's a second symptom. Third, appetite changes, weight loss or weight gain. Okay, so if that's that's part of it, um, trouble sleeping, or, or sleeping too much, so sleeping all the time or sleeping too little. Right, so that's a fourth symptom. Kind of feeling slowed down, just kind of lethargic or or being excessively agitated, just kind of you know, kind of a nervous energy can be a symptom of depression. Um, tiredness, fatigue, lack of energy—that that same idea. Physical symptoms uh, and pain, so body aches, a stomach upset, just kind of constant, constantly upset stomach, or chronic headaches can be a sign of depression. Feelings of worthlessness, hmm. feelings of worthlessness, problems. With concentration or focus, I just can't keep my mind on on task is another uh, symptom. Inability to make decisions or poor decision-making. I just can't focus. I can't make the decision. i got to get stuck in kind of analysis paralysis and things like that. And then thinking about death or dying or planning or attempting suicide. Okay, so these are a number of different symptoms. They're descriptions of kind of emotional mental physical states five or more of these for two weeks or more may indicate a clinical depression and so let me encourage anyone who's listening or or watching here if this is true of you please seek professional help i i'm not the same kind of professional help uh, there, there are medications that can be prescribed. There are folks who've received extensive training uh, with supervision uh, in addressing uh, depression and, and the clinical depression in particular. Obviously, if there's any thoughts of taking your own life, please immediately uh, contact um, uh, I mean let's talk you and I, let's talk but but we need to get you connected to someone um, with, with professional. Uh, training. The reality of depression comes to us It's part of the human condition. We all experience emotional ups and downs, uh, and some seem more prone to, than others to, to depressive episodes. We are bodies and souls. So there's kind of a psychosomatic. Psycho would be the emotional, mental, somatic, soma being the body. Uh, there's a psychosomatic connection. Our bodies, our minds, our emotions are all connected. So nutrition and sleep and hydration, um, exercise, body chemistry, these things play in. So what if what we do with our bodies or how we care for our bodies does affect uh, our emotions, our, our thoughts, uh, our inner life uh, as well. Um I take all of this as an effect of the fall. Not not that there's not that you're feeling depressed because you've done some bad thing and you're being punished for it. It's not that. It's that in the fall of Adam and Eve, this is one aspect of the misery that comes to us. And so eventually our bodies wear out and die. But but these kind of episodes, which the psalmists bear witness to, right? And so this is part of the human condition. It's part of the human experience, negative emotions. God has given us these, this, this, he's made us in his image. And so we have the capacity for the rich um, range of emotions from the happy to the sad and everything uh, in, in between. There, there may be aspects to depression when, when we suffer where there have been habits or patterns of thinking and behavior and emotions that, 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 and self-care that have set up over time. So habits and patterns establish themselves over time. We don't set out to make a habit. We don't set out to make a pattern for how we think about things or how we feel about things, but they develop over time. Um, Some of these habits and patterns trace back to our families of origin how we were parented, how we were treated by siblings, by parents, by extended family members Um, on the playground, you know, if we were bullied and not stuck up for and not protected. um, There are any number of aspects that, you know, childhood and uh, uh, experiences earlier in life that wound us, but we don't feel safe to talk about them or don't know how to talk about them. Very few of us talk about our uh, emotional life well. Um, And so what happens over time is we find ourselves in a similar situation, so I feel a similar thing, and then that's where the habit is. Here's a situation, oh, I felt that when I was eight years old. Here's another situation, I felt that when I was eight years old and 12 years old and 16 years old, and now I'm 38 years old or 48 or 68, and now a situation, a situation, a situation, and I, I fall back on, or I fall into you know, familiar patterns. Um, and so kind of emotional scar tissue forms, if I could say it that way. And so, so there's a combination of things, body, you know, nutrition, sleep, et cetera. Experiences in life that take us back and all of a sudden, I feel like I'm a six-year-old kid again getting yelled at by my mom and dad. You know, when my boss comes in and, you know, asks for, for the report and I don't have it and I feel panicked. And all of a sudden, I feel like I'm getting scolded and, and that can trigger uh, a, a mild or uh, otherwise a, a kind of depression. You know, so behind the question, does depression uh, mean your faith isn't true or strong enough? Absolutely not. Um. But there's kind of an assumption that we have in the Christian life that when we're faithful, we're going to feel good and we're going to be happy and praise the Lord. And if we're feeling down and depressed or discouraged or sad, well, it must be because I'm not faithful. Because if I were faithful, I'd be feeling happy all the time. And so I want to just dispel that notion Our faith is not our feelings. Our feelings are not our faith. I think we talked about this a few weeks ago. Feelings, which are part of our life, the emotions are part of our life, they are not a reliable guide. They are a guide, but they are not always a reliable guide. Sometimes I respond appropriately uh, with the appropriate emotions of joy, happiness, sadness, uh, shame, to activities or uh, events, but but our, my, my, my feelings are not reliable. They don't always lead me in the way of truth. And so faith involves both mental assent. I have to know something. Who is God? Who is Jesus? I, I, I then assent to that. I have to have an awareness, and then I assent to that. I acknowledge that. I believe that is how we talk about it. Faith issues in behavior, right? And so I behave as if that which I believe is true. I behave as if I am forgiven. And so we struggle with feeling forgiven, even though we are forgiven, okay? And so um, our feelings really ought to be more the caboose on the train than the engine of the train. For many of us, I think we've learned an expression of faith that if I feel happy, then i feel like god is near if i feel sad i feel god is not near god is always near <laughs> right god is always near and present to us um and so and so i may and, and i'm going to kind of bleed into this question in just a moment But let me just point in answer, I'm trying to answer the question. There's a short answer and a much longer question, and maybe there's a whole set of basement academies on this, but Psalm 13 gives witness to the faithful struggle. Psalm 42 gives witness to the faithful struggle. Psalm 77 gives witness to the faithful struggle where the heart is wrestling and broken, and yet it's pressing on and laying hold of of God. Um, Let me read a little bit from Habakkuk chapter three. It's It's a little known prophet in the Old Testament. Habakkuk chapter three, verse 17. Though the fig tree does not bud and there are no grapes on the vines, though the olive crop fails and the fields produce no food, though there are no sheep in the pen and no cattle in the stalls, yet I will rejoice in the Lord. I will be joyful in God, my Savior. The sovereign Lord is my strength. He makes my feet like the feet of a deer. He enables me to go on the heights. The prophets picture everything can be going wrong and somehow I'm going to trust in God. And so depression does not reveal a lack of faith. It may actually be (laughs) the more faith, the greater faith. <clears throat> is what, what presses on. Um, there's a song that some may know. Um, I, I turned it into one of my sabbatical songs, uh, some years ago, Sometimes a Light Surprises. This is by William Cooper, spelled C-O-W-P-E-R. And, um, he struggled with depression his whole life. Um, he was a, a friends with John Newton, Uh, of Amazing Grace, Uh, How Sweet the Sound fame. And so here's, these are the, the lyrics to the song. Sometimes a light surprises the Christian while he sings. It is the Lord who rises with healing in his wings. When comforts are declining, he grants the soul again a season of clear shining to cheer it after rain. So he's writing about the experience of depression. It feels like it's just clouds and rain, but sometimes a light surprises. Sometimes there is a a window. (laughs) The, The clouds part and the sun shines. In holy contemplation, we sweetly then pursue the theme of God's salvation and find it ever new. Set free from present sorrow, we cheerfully can say, Let the unknown tomorrow bring with it what it may. Tomorrow brings with it nothing, but he will bear us through. Who gives the lilies clothing will clothe his people too. Beneath the spreading heavens no creature but is fed, and he who feeds the ravens will give his children bread. Though vine nor fig tree neither their wonted fruit shall bear, the wall of the field should wither, nor flocks nor herds be there. Yet God, the same abiding, his praise shall tune my voice. For while in him confiding, I cannot but rejoice. Mm. I didn't think I could sing it for you. Okay, I haven't sung it for a while, but I've turned that into one of these Sabbath songs. Sometimes a light surprises let me just answer the second question real quickly Uh, at easter time let me read the the question around easter i especially struggle that jesus died for my sins i feel tremendous guilt every year is that something that other christians deal with um and i'll say good (laughs) and i wish so yes we ought to contemplate uh, our need of the savior that's what lent is right it's a season of self-examination where we contemplate our need for the Savior's death and resurrection, for his salvation. And in contemplation upon our sin, we may feel that sense of, uh, of guilt uh, or, or shame. Um, I wish more Christians did feel that in some way, but but let me clarify something here, and it ties back to the previous question. Guilt describes a legal forensic factual state of affairs. I am either guilty or not guilty before the law. Okay. I may not feel guilty even though I am guilty. Okay. So I want to separate guilt feelings from true moral guilt. And the way to illustrate this is coming the other direction. I sometimes feel guilty when I've done nothing wrong. I uh, live in town of Haymarket, right? That's where this basement academy comes from. And we've got a strict 25 mile an hour speed limit uh, in downtown Haymarket, some of you know this. And the police in Haymarket don't mind pulling you over. And so I I, sometimes, I go the speed limit in Haymarket, not many other places, but in Haymarket I do. And I'm going 22 miles an hour, and all of a sudden, the police car might be on the side of the road or pulls out behind me. And all of a sudden, I'm feeling guilty. I am not guilty. I have not violated the law. I am driving under the speed limit. But my heart feels guilty. That's trying to illustrate my guilt feelings are not a, an indicator of, of true moral guilt. Now, as we contemplate our sins before God, yes, we are guilty. But guilt has a strange set of feelings associated with it, right? And so fear, anxiety, shame. Uh, We feel exposed and kind of naked or embarrassed, right? So when, when we're found out We get embarrassed, okay, that guilt sometimes has some embarrassment tucked into it. Rejection and punishment or feeling like we're going to be punished, or the fear of punishment. Panic, sometimes there's an anxiety that spikes into a panic. Guilty feelings also have an unpredictability to them. I just don't know what's gonna happen. If I get found out, I don't know what's gonna happen. So the fear of the unpredictability and the unknown or of a, a, a negative outcome, a sense of loss, a loss of privilege, a loss of opportunity, a loss of standing. Um, And then it feels like we're out of control, which leads again to panicky. So all of those and more bundle into what we often call feeling guilty. Okay, Um, But shame and regret and kind of a self-loathing often sit at the center of it. Um, I'm such a dummy. I should have known better. I should have done better. I can't believe I did that. You know, kind of the self-talk that we um, sometimes bring to ourselves. And so, I guess the short answer to the question, uh, do do other Christians struggle with this? I I believe they do. Do do they struggle with it more at Easter time, you know, Lent and Easter? I, I suspect some of it because we focus on that stuff, right? Um, And so the question is, what's the proper emotional response to our sin? What is the proper emotional response to our sin? Is it feelings of self-loathing, self-deprecation, you know, calling ourselves names, um, fear uh, and, and anxiety and embarrassment? And those Yes, we ought to have some aspect of this. Um, I want to read a passage from Second Corinthians um, chapter 7. Paul had written something, and it, and it induced a measure of emotional response, as he heard from the Corinthians. He says, I, 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 Even if I caused you sorrow by my letter, I do not regret it, though I did regret it. I see that my letter hurt you, but only for a little while. Yet now I'm happy, not because you were made sorry, but because your sorrow led you to repentance. For you became sorrowful as God intended, and so were not harmed in any way by us. Godly sorrow, this is 2 Corinthians 7.10, Godly sorrow brings repentance that leads to salvation and leaves no regret, but worldly sorrow brings death. And he goes on and says how this godly sorrow leads to an action, trying to clear your name and, and improve your life, right? And so what's the proper emotional response to sin? Yes, there is a sorrow. Yes, there is a regret. Yes, there is a sadness that we have offended God. We've done the wrong thing. We made a mess of things. But, but we don't end there, okay? Okay. Godly sorrow leads to repentance. And so those strong emotions of shame and regret and remorse, etc., cetera, are to propel action. We're to rethink our lives. How can I do better next time? But we're also to remember the gospel. We're to remember the goodness of God through Jesus Christ. And so we don't, as Christians, walk around all just hang dog because we've done wrong. That's a given. We walk around as those who are forgiven, Right. Um, St. Augustine, who's famous for writing his book, The Confessions, um, he was a, a worldling and then, uh, had a conversion, um, and, and he wrote in detail his, his sins. He, he, he coined a phrase, I don't that, that's the wrong way to say it, but he wrote about, writing in Latin, there's a phrase attributed to Augustine, Felix, Now we're familiar with mea culpa. Mea, mine culpa, culpability. Mine is the sin. Mea culpa, my sin, my sin. Augustine wrote Felix culpa. Felix is the word for happy or glad. Oh, happy sin is the way to translate that. That's strange. And, And as he goes on and articulates Felix culpa, As we become aware of our sin, oh, happy sin, that I realize I need a savior. And so it's my sin that leads me to seek the savior. It's my sin that leads me to the cross, right? And there I meet the savior. You see, it's the person who does not have an awareness of their sin, who does not feel guilty at Easter time. That's the person who's truly lost. Because if you do not realize you're a sinner, you will never look to Jesus as the Savior. You'll think all that religion stuff is just bunk. It's silly. It's nonsense. It's wives' tales. It's fairy tales. There's no salvation. Oh, happy sin. So yes, while there may be an initial response of sorrow, of sadness, of regret, etc., guilty feelings, oh, happy sin. Felix culpa. Let that sense of regret lead you back to Calvary, lead you back to the cross, lead you to cling to that old rugged cross and to celebrate the resurrection of Jesus Christ, which seals our pardon, our our forgiveness. And so guilt is only halfway there. Let it propel you to repentance, to faith and hope and love and to clinging to Jesus so that you may rejoice The proper response to our sin is regret, repentance, and then a laying hold of Christ. And there we find our joy and our salvation. So anyway, a little long today, but important stuff that we all wrestle with. So thank you for asking these good questions. Let's pray. So Father, thank you. Oh, happy sin, Felix Kulpa, when we realize our need of the Savior you have provided for us. I pray for my sisters and brothers, for each of us. May we pray for one another as we go through life and we are depressed and discouraged and and downcast. We thank you for the witness of the Psalms, the witness of the prophets. We thank you for the witness of the cross that, that conveys to us there is hope. Sometimes a light surprises, and so may the light penetrate anyone who is in a season of sorrow and darkness and depression now. May the light of the gospel and the hope of Jesus Christ come upon these who suffer. Lord, hear our prayer as we make it this day in the name of Jesus, who taught us to pray together, saying, Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come and thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. Well, may God cause his face to shine upon you with all goodness, grace, glory, and light today. May he do this day and forevermore. Amen.